today's episode, there's a brief mention of an instance of sexual abuse. It may not be appropriate for all listeners. I was born and reared in Chicago, um, the oldest of five siblings. And my mother died, I was really young, eight, close to nine, and my grandmother reared me. She and I did not really see eye to eye. I was 14. I pretty much had to fend for myself, and I wound up in foster care. So when they enter into a foster home, you expect it to be so much different. It was not always different. Just the treatment, the parents favored their biological children. So we give grace because I believe God has given us so much grace and he's given us time to get ourselves together. And we have to extend that same grace to these biological parents. What happens when a person raised in the foster care system becomes a foster parent? Should you honor and incorporate the culture and heritage of your foster child into your family traditions? How does a single parent carry the joys and struggles of being a foster parent? What can foster parents and birth parents do to work together for the best interests of the child? We'll explore these things and more on today's episode of Grit, getting real while immersed in truth. Welcome to the Grit Podcast, getting real, immersed in truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I'm your host, Fabrina Reddle, and today I'm talking to a friend and member of the Black Girl Magic Crew, which is a group of us women that we started meeting over Zoom during the pandemic. And I'm talking to Rachel Folds. Hey, sis. Hey. <laughs> Rachel has been a foster parent for 18 years. She has fostered approximately 70 children of all races and ethnicities. She has done this in group homes and in her own home. Right now, Rachel has adopted five children and she has five in her guardianship. Thanks for joining me today, Rachel. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So we want to talk a little bit, I wanted to talk a little bit about foster care and also about your story, because when I saw your story and I had known you for a couple of years, although this year I got to know you, know you, but I was blown away because your attitude and demeanor is very positive and upbeat. I mean, you, you're for real, like you, you're not acting fake, like you're the real deal, but you choose to see life in a different way. You choose not to let it get you down. And so when I heard your story, I was floored. I was like, wow, I would have never known that this woman had been through all this. And so I just wanted to sit with you a little bit and I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your story and your life. I come from a pretty hard background. I was born and reared in Chicago. Um, the oldest of five siblings. 
And my mother died. I was really young, eight, close to nine. And my grandmother reared me. Mm. She and I did not really see eye to eye. She always said that I was, I act like my mother. And that Mm. was not a compliment (laughs) because Mm. uh, my mother was a drug addict in and out of the hospitals or detox centers. And she actually died of a drug overdose. Mm. My biological father lived in New York and he was a functioning alcoholic. So at 14, once my grandmother and I just just could not see eye to eye, she sent me to live with who I at that time was a perfect stranger because I had never met him until I was 14. Got there, realized he was an alcoholic. He had another family. And so he and I did not get along at all. I pretty much had to fend for myself and I wound up in foster care. And life just kind of went on from there. You know, the first home I was in was quite different. It was a white family, upstate New York. And the issue was they were really nice people. However, they had three biological children and it was known that they were favored. There was a big difference, not just the color, but just the treatment was different. Mm -hmm. But I did have a really good caseworker who listened to what I had to tell her when she did her visits. So I was moved from there to a black family. Well, there I became the built-in babysitter because I was the oldest of her biological and other foster children. And I became the babysitter. And Mm -hmm. so it was like, I really had a bad taste for foster care, period. It was just, you know, however, my last foster home was wonderful. It was an older couple who had many children. I was the 15th in the house. Wow. That was a mixture of her children, her grandchildren, and her foster children. Wow. But it was the most loving home, the most loving. And I think it was at that point that I saw where I could do this. Mm. And it it was just put in my heart at that time. Mm. I left and went to the military and I did it after the military. Mm-hmm. We, well, I wanted to go back a little bit because mm-hmm. you had talked about some of the things that you ex- experienced in foster care and the video that I had seen. And that was another reason why you said you wanted to be a foster parent because you didn't want, you wanted kids to be in a loving home. Correct. So tell us a little about some of those experiences that you had that you decided, I, I'm not going to treat other children this way. Well, it's, it's one of those things where when you see abuse um, and neglect, and it's sad that it happens in a foster home because normally a child is removed from their biological home because of abuse and neglect. Mm. So when they enter into a foster home, you expect it to be so much different. However, my own personal experience, it was not always different. Mm. There was no not so much physical abuse, but just just the treatment. Like I said, the first foster home, the parents favored their biological children and it was evident. It was quite evident. The second foster home, built-in babysitter, you know, I had to do the little menial chores and it was just, it was crazy. And so when you already have trauma, because prior to foster care, I was molested as a little girl. So there's that trauma. Then the fact that my biological mother wasn't there, that was trauma. And so then to enter in a place that's supposed to be a safe haven, mm. 
and to find trauma, Mm -hmm. it's devastating for a little girl. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. So I knew, you know, I, I felt I had experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly of foster care. So I had a pretty good picture of what not to do and how to do it correctly. Do I still make mistakes? Absolutely, because it's a learning thing. You learn as you go. However, the basic, the foundation is there for sure. Mm-hmm. None of the homes that I went in were Christian except the last one which was wonderful because there was a foundation laid for their home already prior to me being there. And so it was just, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. Mm. Yeah. You know, I've talked to a couple of other people and you're this, oh no, all three of them, three of them were transracial adoptions and, and all three, they said the same thing that they were treated differently than the biological children in the house. I know I did a podcast on the Mama Take Heart mm-hmm. podcast that I also host. And on that one, I did a podcast on transracial adoption. So you all can hop over there to, to listen to that one. But her experience was very similar, that she was mm-hmm. treated very poorly. And mm-hmm. I've spoken to other people in person, and they had a similar experience. Now, now I say all because... I have a friend and she adopted uh, a daughter from Africa and she's very interested in heritage and culture and making sure she's around other people of color and Mm, uh, things like that. And she loves that little girl to pieces. (laughs) So, and her, so does her siblings, her siblings love her to pieces. And so it's not always the case. And then also in your case, because you have fostered, children and adopt children of different ethnicities and races. So, yes. And, and how do you, how do you love them and show them that they are all loved the same, not the same as in, you know, cause even my own kids, they have different personalities mm-hmm. and there's different, mm-hmm. there's ways you love them differently because it matches their personality, mm-hmm. but you still love them the same. Yes. I mean, <sighs> I have a Native American son, white sons, and mixed race sons. So it's a rainbow here at my house, for real. But I show them all the same love. When I say the same love, as you said, it looks different for different ones. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not always across the board the same, but they all know that I love them and they all can feel that it's almost like it's a tangible thing, you know, they just, they know it. Like I have some sons, they're not cool with hugging, you know, just based on what they came from. So, mm-hmm. you know, I might fist bump them or, you know, something else, but they know, or I might write little notes to them or send little letters. It just takes getting to know them to know mm-hmm. what uh, touches their heart, what moves them. And then you work on that. And that's what I do when you have sons or daughters of different nationalities or whatever, like my native American, he likes fry bread. So I don't know how to cook it. (laughs) However, his grandmother did. And I had a relationship with his grandmother. I would take him by to make sure he got what he wanted, what he needed. When people have different races in their homes, they have to make sure that they are just, you know, putting them in that uh, circle of their own nationality, their own race, just to help. Them. I mean, it's it's hard. When I was in an all-white family, 
they ate different than I did <laughs> at 15. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know what kale was, mm. you know, Brussels sprouts who ate that because I came from a black family. We had collard greens, we had mm. cornbread. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the small gestures that make, you know, cause if they have fixed a African-American dinner, that would have meant spoke volumes to me because mm. it meant that I was being included. Some soul food. Yes. Soul food on the Yes. Table. Yes. So you just have to be intentional in making everyone feel included that's in your home. If you're going to foster or adopt mm-hmm. young people that don't look like you. Right. Now, you and I have commonality in one, you were born and raised until you went to New York and Chicago. And right. I was born <laughs> and semi because <laughs> I didn't stay very long at all in Chicago. I think I was five or six when we moved. But then you were also in the military. And so was I. And yes. so that was kind of interesting to find out once we kind of started talking to each other, we had that, that similarity in our backgrounds. And you said it was when you were, when you got out of the military is when you started working in group homes and state mm-hmm. hospitals. So talk about that. What led to you becoming licensed for foster? Um, when I was in the military, I went to a, a church convention and Uh, a man was ministering and he called me out. Didn't know me from Adam's Tomcat. Okay. He called me out and he said to me that I was going to be the mother of many. Wow. And I was like, okay, yeah, right. You know, and he looked at me in my eyes and said it again, that God was going to make me a mother of many. I had no clue what he was talking about. I was thinking I was going to give birth to like a hundred children or something, you know? Um, And I was like, okay. So I kind of blew it off. But then when I got out the military, I went to Georgia first and I was putting in job applications. And one of the places that called me back was a state hospital. And I was like, okay. And I was working with young people that had mental illness, some physical disabilities. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it kind of just went from there. But it was not until 2003 when I uh, got in touch with this one agency. And I was like, I heard the preacher's words come back to me. Because my first placement, I'll say, he was actually my nephew by birth. I got him when he was six weeks old and it didn't turn over just yet in my brain. Then he was adopted at two, but when he was three months, I got my first state placement and I was like, wow. Then I started hearing the preacher's voice and it just went from there. I had staff at the the hospital that I was working at who was having issues with their sons and two of them came to live with me. And then I would sit back like, what is going on? Here it is. I had one, you know, I went from no children to four overnight seemed like. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it just kind of went from there. So when I got licensed in South Carolina, I only did boys because I had a boy already. And so it was much easier and it just went from there. So I went from home and then I went to another group home that we lived in. We would call house parents. I was a house parent at the time and had 11 
boys and whoo yeah. <laughs> yeah but I'm gonna tell you if you can do two or three boys 11 is no problem it just I think the military has really uh, helped me because it was it's all about structure mm. it really is it's all about structure and then meeting each kid where they are because trust me when you have 11 boys under one roof there are some attitudes, some issues. So, I mean, that's a lot of testosterone under one roof. Right. So, yes. <laughs> so it definitely takes structure. Yeah. And then you said in 2003 is when you were able to receive a license mm-hmm. for foster care in your home. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you said you were in South Carolina then, and then you moved uh, to Nebraska 2012. Okay. And then you had to become licensed here also? I did because your license is only good for the state that you're in. So Mm -hmm. when I got here, I was at a particular church and had a meeting with the pastor and she just wanted to know, you know, about my story. Where did I come from? What did I do? And when I told her, you know, I've done foster care. As a matter of fact, one of the a youth that I had in my foster home in South Carolina, whom I got guardianship of, he was with me. And she said, you know, there's somebody I want you to meet. And she connected me to a gentleman at Christian Heritage, whom now I'm licensed with. She connected us and I've been with them ever since 2012. Wow. That's good. I wanted to talk about the, you said that at one time you had 11 boys in your house and for a long time you had a rhythm (laughs) where you just had boys. Yes. (laughs) Like always boys. Yes. 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 And so (laughs) what's that? Something happened. (laughs) (laughs) They just said, oh boy, just send them to Rachel. She got it. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. And how does that work with you being the, because you're, you're a single parent. Yes. Yeah. We've got to say that you're a single parent. And so you are fostering children on your own and fostering boys on your own. And so how do they handle the fact that your mama and that's it. You mama, (laughs) you know, how, how do they handle your authority? That's, that's the question. How do they handle your authority? You know, for the most part, everything runs well. Now I have had foster children who did not at all like the fact that I was a woman, period. Mm -hmm. An example, I had a, a young man from Guatemala spoke no English whatsoever. Our communication, I downloaded a Google Translate on my phone and that's how we communicated every Mm -hmm. single day while he was here. Mm -hmm. But he also came from a culture where women, you know, you did what the man said, period. So he had, and he was 16, he had a very hard time with following the rules and meeting expectation because it came from a woman. However, when he learned that I wasn't bending and that it is what it is, by the time he left, we were, I mean, to this day, he's grown. We still communicate. 
Mm-hmm. He's learned to speak English, doing well on his own. And he has apologized for some of the craziness he took me through. Mm-hmm. Teenager too. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> that, that's enough right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, we had a lot of things. I mean, he was a teenager. He came from a culture that did not necessarily respect women, the authority figure, and he spoke no English. So we had a lot. lot. And he had a lot. And he was a foster child. Yes. So he had a lot of, he had a lot of things to process. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, but for the most part, it's been good. You know, they understand, listen, I'm by myself. But what I do is I do put them in situations where there are strong, healthy men Mm -hmm. that can help in the mentoring process. Mm. And that that's important for single women who are raising males, because I can't show you how to be a man. You know, it's right. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not mom and dad. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not. I'm mom, period. Mm -hmm. However, I can put you in a position where you know what good, healthy dads or men look like Mm -hmm. to glean from. So and that's what I try to do. And so you all have a program there that does that? Not necessarily uh, here at Christian Hedge, a program for that, but through our church community, Mm. because they all know that I foster. So the youth pastor at the church where my kids do youth group is very, very good um, with helping. And then I have male friends. I have brothers, you know, a brother that's in, Mm. in Lincoln. And so they are out with them. Sometimes my brother will help take them to go work with him on his little side jobs, building stuff. So just putting them around healthy, seasoned men mm-hmm. just to help mentor them. That's good. Yeah, I know that you mentioned that the the young man where you all communicated through Google uh, Translate, that he still mm-hmm. keeps in touch with you. Oh, yes. And, um, I remember you had another son that had an accident and you had us praying for him and that you and he's a grown man yes. and you keep in touch with him. So how many how many do you still keep in touch with of the children that you have had in your life? I'll say at least over 50% of them, we still have communication with. When I was in South Carolina, in between the group homes and my state job at the hospital in foster care, I also, I was in a group home with girls, nine teenage girls. And even to this day, I still have a relationship with, I'll say at least 40% of them talk, text, Facebook, and my boys, especially we, you know, we, there is a bond there, mm-hmm. you know, there's mm-hmm. a bond. And so we, when they're in trouble, <laughs> they call like one that was in my home and he wasn't only, he was only here for maybe two, three weeks. He was 18 when he came on a Monday, he turned 19 on that Friday. And so he had really was aging out, but we had to jump through some hoops to have him stay as an mm-hmm. adult. And he stayed for a while. And even him, he's trying to get custody of his child. And so he called me, do you have an attorney? And, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's, I love the fact that we've maintained relationship Mm -hmm. because I have one who just got married last month and he has two children. So, you know, they're on my family wall (laughs) in the house because they are family, Mm -hmm. they're family. Mm -hmm. So we have a good relationship. Wow, that's really nice. 
Today's Black-owned business shout-out goes to Link Glamour. Owner Kavan Crockett says her business is a beauty brand featuring magnetic lashes, magnetic eyeliner, makeup blends, sponges, brushes, and more. Check out her website, linklashes.com. That's L-N-K lashes.com. And as always, the link will be in the show notes. And now I know that you usually have boys in the home, but you recently got a girl. I did. <laughs> I did. All those years with boys and now you have a girl and you're seeing some differences in them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> what, what age do you usually get? Do you usually just take teenagers? I do. And I chose that because... As a teen, when I was 14, going into the foster care system, no one wanted a teen. Mm. And especially me, because I was a girl, you know, they just see trouble, you know. Mm. And a lot of times people can't look past what's on that paper, Mm. the referrals. So I chose teens. The only reason why I had boys initially is because I had a boy, you know, my first, um, child was a boy mm-hmm. so I thought it was just easier to keep you know just do boys and it seemed like they just gravitated to me so I never intended to do girls after running a group home with nine girls I was definitely done with girls <laughs> uh, I'm like oh my goodness uh yeah they were a hot mess <laughs> that's a lot of women once yes 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 but I got a girl recently And she is the sister to one of the boys that I had. Mm. And because I knew how it felt to be apart from uh, my siblings growing up as a foster child, if I could help that, I wanted to. And she's my first girl that I've actually taken as a placement. And I'll tell you, it's really been good. It really has. She has attitude. She's a teenager. Okay. She's 15. She's got hormones. <laughs> yes. Hormones. I mean, Cocktail all of that. Going on. <laughs> Ooh, my goodness. And one of the biggest difference I saw, because when my boys, when they fight and bicker with each other, it's over. They fight, bicker. And then the next minute, hey, let's go play basketball. Let's go shoot some hoops. With her, oh my goodness. It's like, it may be two days before <laughs> she come around. And I'm like, I wasn't used to that, you know? Yeah. Because even me with my own temperament, I might be upset with you, but once it's over, it's over. And I'm back to norm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh my goodness, she brings a different dynamic to the house for sure. But it's good because the boys respect her. They look at it, that's their sister. They will bite somebody's head off about her, you know? I love that. And the thing that I did not know is I needed a girl because one thing I can say is she has softened me because mm. I'm used to, you know, our joke here is I'm a cross between Mother Teresa and a drill sergeant, okay? <laughs> but she is really taking me closer to the Mother Teresa part of me. <laughs> She's really tenderhearted. Mm. So if you fuss or your voice is a little bit elevated. 
tears come, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, stop crying, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so she's, she's really tenderhearted, which has really helped me because it has softened me. So of course my boys enjoy that as well. But uh, yeah, she brings a different dynamic, but it's good. She interacts well with everyone. And the one thing I love, she, she wants to be here. She wanted to be with her brother and it's wonderful to see them bond because they did not have that bond. Mm-hmm. So now they're bonding, which is awesome. It's awesome. That's good. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned something else about you have five that you have adopted. Correct. And then you said you have five in guardianship and then two waiting to be adopted also. Right. So my girl and her brother, those are the two that I'm fostering currently. Mm-hmm. And it's foster to adopt. So right now my home study is done. Everything is pretty much done. Just waiting on a few little things. And they'll, so by time school starts, they'll, they should be adopted. So there's five from the time I started foster care to now I've adopted five. And I have had guardianship of five. So what guardianship is, they don't change names. It's just that I have custody of them. Sometimes parental rights have been terminated. Mm -hmm. Like an example, my 26-year-old, when he was in foster care, because he came to me at eight, his mother struggled with the fact that, one, I was Black and I was raising her son. And the fact that she could not have him. Mm. So it wasn't wise for me to do an adoption because it would have just killed her. She just, she could not handle it. Mm. I was okay with just doing a guardianship because to me, a guardianship is no different than adoption in the way you treat the young person. Mm -hmm. It's just some technicalities, you Mm. know, which is okay. So we chose to do guardianship versus adoption for him. And then I've had others who just needed somebody to be there to take care of their day-to-day while the parents or mom got their self together. So I just did a guardianship. The one, two of the five have been reversed where the parents regain custody of their children because I kept them long enough just for them to work out their own Mm -hmm. issues. It worked out wonderful. To this day, I still have communication. The one he left in 2018 and they still call me, what do you, what should I do? He did this. What should we do? You know, and we just get along. That's the parent that calls you? Yes. To ask. Wow. Yes. So it's beautiful Because the one thing I've learned in foster care is if you can build that relationship with the biological parents, it makes their stay so much better. And it's so much better for the the young person when they see that you are working with their biological parents just to help them. You know, it's it's wonderful. It is. It's Mm co-parenting. Now, can you do that with all of them? Absolutely not. But the ones that you can... I encourage our foster parents do it. If you can do that, do it. And it just, you know, it just helps foster that relationship with between you, the parent and the child that's involved. It's it's a good relationship. Wow. I appreciate you saying that because you don't hear that very often. I have heard from other foster parents is negativity towards the parent judgment. 
That's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And so it's good to hear that that you get it. Like, okay, they're struggling right now. Mm-hmm. And, and until they can get themselves together and deal with their own trauma or whatever is yes. going on with yes. them, then yeah. I'm just going to step in for this. Yes. But then you also show the child that their parent isn't the enemy, yes. that they're still worthy of love and respect. You know, they're just having a hard time. They are. So, yeah, that's really good. Uh, it doesn't make them bad people, but, you know, we have some parents that are immersed in drug addiction or alcoholism or domestic violence. And do they really want to stay there where they are? No, you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes they just need time to just get themselves together. Does it mean they don't love their children? Absolutely not. Right. You know, absolutely not. Because that child already knows the trauma because they've seen it, you right. know, they've seen it. So for a foster parent to rehearse that in their hearing, it should never happen. Mm-hmm. So we give grace because I believe God has given us so much grace and he's given us time to get ourselves together. And we have to extend that same grace to these biological parents mm-hmm. and is just better for the child for sure. Well, that's really good. Yeah, I like that way you said that God gives us time in his grace. He gives us time to get ourselves together. Yeah, like a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Because we are always a work in progress. You know, it's it's not the perfection, but the process because we will not be perfected till we get to the other side. Absolutely. So I I like the way you um, say that, that, you know, how you see it that God gave me grace, why wouldn't I give or extend that same grace to someone else? And then what an example you are showing to the children of God's love, mercy, and grace, and then, and treating them the way Jesus would treat them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how we do devotion in the mornings. And a lot of times we'll say, take prayer requests, you know, who you want to pray for. And a a lot of kids would be shy when they first get here and all. So I just said, let's pray for your bio family. And I mean, that is huge because I've had some who were upset with their bio moms or dads because of, you know, what had happened, Mm -hmm. but because they were praying for them every day, that softened. And I've had some who would not go on a visit but after praying for them and just learning about grace, they were open to a visit, open to a phone call, you know? So it's, you know, as a foster parent, we have a very crucial job because it's not just about feeding and sheltering, you know, that young person, but also ministering to that spirit man mm-hmm. and help it, helping to change the trajectory of their life. My mm-hmm. last foster parents, Oh, it just, it changed a lot because love changes people, period. Mm -hmm. It really Mm -hmm. does. Love changes people. And then when they have that love from their parent, foster parent, and then they're led to the love of God. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. Wow. That's good. So, and I know you are a mighty warrior woman of God. And very gracious. And you're real too, though. Like you, you tell it like it is, <laughs> which I appreciate that about you. What you see is what you get. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because yeah. I want my kids to see that, you know, I didn't grow up on a bed of roses. Right. You know, I don't like to sugarcoat things. When I was in foster care, you know, there was so much secrecy. When I first read my referral to foster care, I was devastated because mm. it said I was incorrigible. Mm. That word stuck with me for a long time, you know, because words have, you know, there's stigmas with words. Mm-hmm. And so when I learned how the word incorrigible, incorrigible was unable to change, you know, I was like, wow. And so I had to disassociate myself with that word as mm-hmm. an adult because right. it stuck, you know? And so with our, even with our young people, they've had so many words spoken over them. So it's not until sometime they come to a home that shows them in the word of God, who they really are mm-hmm. and the words that should be sticking with them, you know, wow, you just don't understand how much uh, power there is as a parent and the responsibility as a parent, you know, guiding these young people. And I just wish that I had that earlier on, mm-hmm. but I'm thankful for the road I went because now it helps me to relate to my kids better. It helps me to see things a whole lot different. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it really does. So I'm, I'm grateful. I, I really am. So when you were, when you were a child, was it the last foster uh, parents that you had, or is that how you got to know Jesus or when did that happen? No, that didn't happen actually until I went to the military, you know, when <laughs> I was brought up in Baptist church, my grandmother sent me to church. She didn't take me. She sent me. So a little van came and <laughs> picked me up and I went to church. And so I knew about God, mm-hmm. but not had not had that personal encounter. And to be honest, because of foster care, I really didn't want that relationship mm-hmm. because I'm like, mm, if people like this, I just, you know, I just didn't right. want it mm-hmm. because but the first two sets, they went to church, but they didn't live it out. They didn't, they didn't walk it out. Right. Not at all. So, but my last family, they weren't big religious people, but they knew how to love. Right. And it was something about that that gripped my heart. So when I went to my first duty station after basic training, I was in Turkey. God put me in a place where the person that was over me, our sergeant, he was saved. And I'm talking about really saved. And he was dropping nuggets every day, you know, dropping seeds. And finally, one day, it just, I just knew that this was where I was supposed to go. This is what I was supposed to do. And I was in my barracks in my room when I said yes to Mm -hmm. the father, but my last foster home, because of the love that they showed me, it opened my heart to -hmm. receiving God. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you were in Turkey. Yeah. He was (laughs) a missionary in the military. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes, yes. Well, you know, we always on mission anyway, so. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> at Walmart, at that's right. you know, Super Saver. You that's your mission field, period. That's, that's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sitting and talking to me about your story and 
what it is you do. You are a busy woman. Let me tell you, <laughs> a lot going on. And I'm so encouraged that, you know, you have chosen to dedicate your life basically to taking care of marginalized people. Yes. And not just the children, but their parents too, you know, extending your love and grace to them too. So, yeah, I'm proud to know you, girl. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy what this journey, I enjoy doing what God has, you know, put in me. And I tell people all the time, I'm probably one of the few, and I'm sure there's many more, but who can say that I am doing exactly what God called me to do from before I was even formed in my mother's womb. Mm -hmm. I'm doing that. And is it easy? No. But is it worth it? Absolutely, yes. Because when you see a life changed that was going way, way south, Mm -hmm. and now they're rising, and Mm -hmm. now they are grabbing hold of their own potential, and their own identity, it's, it's nothing, you know, greater than seeing that take shape and forming and then walking it out. So I absolutely love what I get to do for the kingdom. Amen. I will leave it on that. <laughs> I just love that woman. Don't you? Don't forget to give Brit Giddy Real a five-star rating, follow, and share. To hear my interview with Sandia Oaks, who generously tells her personal story about transracial adoption, listen to my other podcast, On Life Audio, Mama Take Heart, Understanding Your Gen Z Girl. The Mama Take Heart podcast is to help moms be the compassionate, gospel-centered, influential voice in their girl's life. I'm not an expert by any means. Actually, I'm still walking through some of the joys and challenges of parenting Gen Z myself. I just want to share what I've learned along the way. Getting Real Immersed in Truth podcast is produced and edited by me, Rabrina Ruddle. Original music by composer Michael Coffey of Handcrafted Studios. Connect with me on Instagram at Rabrina Ruddle and check out my website, RabrinaRuddle.com. Until next time, Keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth.